Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Business of Fitness podcast here on the Women's Performance Podcast, part of Feisty Media. And I am super excited today talking to someone a little bit different. This is a little outside of, uh, you know, what we're normally thinking about when we think about the the business of fitness. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked to a vast array of different women in the past few weeks from yoga studio owners to coaches. Uh, to journalists and editors and podcast creators. And uh, today we're actually talking to a serial entrepreneur. We have Angela Goran on the podcast. She's a serial entrepreneur, mentor, and advocate for women in technology and advancing girls and women in sport. Uh, she's also the founder of Tap and Go Technologies, a vertical neobank specializing in innovative and disruptive fintech and insure tech. And if that seems confusing to you, don't worry, we get into exactly what that is. But what's super cool about Angela is she kind of manages to combine her passion for entrepreneurial activities with her deep, deep passion for athletics, in particular cycling. She actually managed to go for the hour record over the summer uh, while also getting this whole tap and go technologies off the ground with the first iteration of that, which is going to be Athletica Rewards, which as the title suggests, is going to be based on athletic type people uh, in, in sort of this neobank technology. Uh, she also originally founded Sock Jock, uh, which is the coolest uh, first adventure into entrepreneurship I've ever heard of. And we talk all about what the world really looks like for someone who is, you know, seeking funding, actually going to venture capitalists, pitching, uh, dealing with kind of all of the different parts of starting a business like this from scratch and just, you know, how it feels to balance everything in the the very, very busy, complicated fintech space with still going for these huge athletic goals. Uh, and now she is quote unquote retired from really focusing on her elite cycling activities, but I would say she's very far from officially retiring. I'm pretty sure that just meant that she is in the middle of trying to figure out what she's doing next. Uh, and she kind of laughed about that as well. So if you are trying to think about starting your own business, whether it is your a smaller business, you know, you're opening a studio in town, uh, or you're you're actually thinking, you know, entrepreneurship is for me. We really get into what it takes to to make it in that space. Uh, so without further ado, uh, enjoy this episode with Angela Garan. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tofosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tofosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tofosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. 
That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. All right, Angela, I am so excited to have you on the Business of Fitness podcast here. Um, So first of all, it's just, I'm so stoked to have you. How are you doing? (laughs) I am doing pretty good. You know, nice to be back in Canada, uh, but I'm loving it. Loving the fall, feeling good, bodies um, coming down from the hiatus of the uh, the recent recent events, as you know. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine what it looks like being you between the athletic side and then the like, boom, we're right back into business. So, I mean, we're gonna get into recovery at some point here, but uh, <laughs> let's give like when someone if you're like in an elevator with someone here and they say, "What do you do? How do you how do you describe who you are and what you do?" Myself. Um, well, definitely, you know, I, it depends on who the person is and how well I know them. Obviously that being said, um, being politically correct, but I always would say, Hey, I'm a female founder, um, big into the business sense, love to mentor. And of course, like, Oh, just on the side, I happen to be a pro athlete, but now I'm retired. So I get to drop that line. Um, <laughs> neat way to kind of cache into some people's some people say, cause I might put in some fun jokes in between there, but that's, that, that's the three, the three word female founder mentor and uh, a pro athlete. <laughs> Amazing. Um, the retired part. I mean, first of all, I'm going to call like a little bit of BS because I feel like you're the kind of woman who's never going to actually be fully like retired from that. So it's got quotations around it for sure. It definitely has quotations around it, right? I have to, I have to be cognizant that family and friends are probably going to be listening to this going, Oh God, what is she going to go for next or what's up? But um, definitely um, for those that know me, that's definitely in my blood. You are totally correct, Molly. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, how has that felt actually? Like, have you gotten to drop the retired line uh, in the past, like, I don't know, few weeks since you've been like technically uh, retired here? Retired. Yeah, you know what? It's true. I don't actually, I never really use that even in my business world. I don't really necessarily believe in the word retired. I think taking a step back in a different way. So maybe that's the better light is how do we put our energy into other things at the same um, sense of what I was doing for this record attempt. Right. Um, and I think that's, what's kind of cool is the last couple of weeks being able to say I'm doing fitness for fun. It's not, it's, it's for me, it's for my friends. It's to enjoy. Not that I didn't enjoy, obviously the journey, um, in certain aspects, there's definitely the hardships as any athlete that's training for a specific goal becomes a job, almost our work. Right. And then you have the responsibilities, which I did because I had sponsors and partners. So I had to do other things other than just be an athlete to represent them and their brand. So there's education around that. So, um, it's kind of nice to not have that responsibility. And now just to be like, I can get up and go like today, I'm going to go for a bike ride in the park with um, some great girls that I have not been able to do a lot of riding with for the last few years. And I don't know whether we're going to be holding 30 kilometers an hour average, or it's going to be a fun 25 kilometers. Um, you know, we're just going to go out and shoot the, shoot the bleep and uh, have some good times. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. I was going to ask about this later, but we keep alluding to it here. You just went for the hour record, which I mean, it's not just that you went for it. Like you put in years of training for this, years of prep for this on top of everything else you're doing as a founder, entrepreneur, all that. Uh, how did the hour record go? How was it? How was the experience? <laughs> in a, in a, in a five minute or in a two minute. Yeah. In a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, Cause there's definitely a full podcast that could go down oh, and yeah. light up as you would know, but um, yeah, obviously it was a longer journey than anticipated. And I think that was the case for anybody that's listening in and watching, right? Like we had this wonderful thing called the pandemic strike the world. And that definitely took a backseat in the sense of like my record attempt was set for May of 2020. Um, so going in in March when the world shut down, being at peak and I've just trained for pretty much three years, um, to get to that point, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was really daunting and sad. I knew exactly what all the Olympic athletes were feeling like for that Olympic summer games coming up because of the same question, right? Like I put in all this hard effort and time. Um, but that being said, uh, you know what, I think I always like to use this connotation. One of my coaches and business mentors, she uses this line, Dame Sheila Driscoll, lover to pieces. So I hope she's listening in here, uh, but show up. And I think the one thing we do as athletes is we do sport because we love it so much that it's just show up. And when we were locked down, there was not much more to do. Honestly, like where, where was I complaining? I had a bike, I had a trainer, I had access to a facility and I had my job still technically being an entrepreneur. And I was going, I can't just stare at the screen all the time. So for me, to be honest, Molly, I, I found cycling was my, my exit. It was my relief. It was my mental health. Um, for the pandemic to keep me focused on something that I cared about because I knew others cared and it hopefully inspired a few people to also not, you know, sit on the couch the whole time we were trying to deal with that and motivate them a little bit um, mm -hmm. to get off. That's yeah. Yeah. And do you feel like having that like physical goal happening, like you're going for this hour record, even if we don't have like an exact date for it in 2020, do you feel like that kind of helped you and helps you in general? Like, stay motivated on the entrepreneur side because when stuff you know maybe when you're struggling with an issue in that world or you know mentally you're just feeling like so fatigued 
you can shift gears, literally. <laughs> literally. Pun, pun intended, right? Exactly. You got it. You nailed it. Like, honestly, like, I think there's there's so many awesome acronyms, by the way, between business and biking. That's what I kind of, I can't wait. I think there's going to be a podcast soon coming out with uh, with the Feisty I Hope called Business and Bikes um, or the Bikes of Business. Um, and I just, you know, one of those things, you're right. Like, I think it gave because we didn't know what what the inevitable was with the pandemic, how long it was going to go on for. And same thing with the business. It was kind of the same struggle, right? Like, okay, well, we can't go to market. And I had both these worlds kind of intersect because we were also going to market with my tech company in 2020. Like our first major event was going to be right in my backyard, the Ottawa race weekend. And I distinctly remember sitting down it was around, yeah, well, it was right before St. Patrick's Day. So it was like about March 15th, 17th. And it was almost like we joke with like the, one of our partners is Sports Stats, Mark Waugh. Shouts out, he's actually on Ironman course right now in Kona. So he's out there probably on the bike. Um, but Mark, myself, his fiance and my partner, we went out for a dinner and we technically called it like the last supper because we had no idea when we were going to see each other again. And at that point, I still distinctly remember him looking at his phone going, I've just lost $3 million in business, like within the last hour while we've been eating, right? Let's order another bottle of wine. Yeah, right. Right. Like it was, it was so sad. And at the same point in time, that was our world in this, in the sports and the health sector, it was going races were canceling events were closing down they had no idea they they needed to back the insurance um and yeah like that was our go-to-market strategy with my tech company as well as my record i was like wow i was gonna get this done in may we were gonna do this and all of a sudden it was just like world came to a grinding halt um that was really hard you know i don't i i now can talk about it i didn't want to express it much in the sense beforehand because you kind of have to be resilient and and not i didn't want to let others down but man, like, you know, behind closed doors, I can tell you it was really tough. And our government was not, unfortunately, there to support the early stage startup companies. Um, we lack, you know, I saw companies that had millions of dollars in revenue get extra, extra funding because they were profitable. But what happened to us? You know, like we did all this hard work for years and mm-hmm. just overnight, I have no sa- I had no salary. I couldn't lean on EI because, well, we're entrepreneurs. You don't get to lean on EI. So it took a while for SIBA to recognize that early stage founders could access that. So yeah, it was really scary. But yeah. both not. So thank God for having a bike because I was able to kind of find some good relief in that time. Yeah. And do you feel like as a woman founder, you actually like the like need to be this resilient figurehead, this like super strong figurehead is even even more of a thing because like the second you show any kind of like vulnerability or emotion there, it's like, ah, this, this woman entrepreneur can't handle this. Yeah, no, for sure. I, you know, definitely the resilience factor. I think it has to be there for any founder, male or female, but for sure. I, I, you know, that's a, it's a hard question, Molly, right? Like I have a lot of incredible men around me that are, that love the humility and the sincerity. And I think, you know, I look at Joanna Nix, like who just exited and exited Spanx, right? Like look at this female founder who how many times she was pregnant with twins and was denied it. And I think time and time again, it's, uh, you know, I think found funds and, and VCs and angels and people that support you, they either do, they don't. And you get to a point in your career. And I'm, I'm happy to say this at, at this stage, because I am in my forties, I'm not in my twenties. If I was to be Angela in her twenties to go back reference, I don't think I'd have the same resilience. Whereas now, when I talk to an organization, it's like, look, if this isn't of interest to you, or you don't believe in myself and my team, no problem. 
awesome. Thanks for the 15 minutes. I don't need to waste any of your time. And you definitely don't deserve to waste any of mine. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like being bullish and being honest, um, with who yourself, who you are, and also representing the team that you've built to back them. Right. It's like being on a pro cycling team or being on a pro team. It's like, these are my peers. I'll fight for them. I'll die for them. Right. It's like, these are my warriors. So I think as a founder and somebody who can have that athlete trend from being on team sports, it's that ability to say, I stand here representing not just myself, but I represent all of these incredible people that have put time and heart and energy into something that's been built. So yeah, that, that little piece, sometimes it's a hard ask. It's a hard thing. I think as a female founder, we do have to work harder. Definitely. I can't lie. I go into meetings where I've been asked, um, do you plan on getting pregnant? Um, oh yeah. Um, are you, do you, those, that's one of the big ones. Do you have on being pregnant? Then of course, also they're always looking, I've had literally when you think about it, and I think there was a conversation the other week that was on the Y Combinator talking about sexual harassment in the workplace, sexual harassment in, in pitching, right? Like sometimes you go in and it's like, am I here because you want to do a dinner with me for the fifth time? Or am I here because you're actually going to invest in me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't happen to men. Yeah. Not, not lining up to take them to the fifth dinner. That's for sure. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of, and I, you know, it's unfortunate. I do feel there's certain points, but then at the same time, and that it's a huge debate within the space is kind of like, you know, look, if you're an overweight, unattractive male, but you have a great software product, they'll look at you, they'll meet with you, they'll talk to you, but I'll tell you if you're an unattractive female that has, you know, any bit of weight on you to a degree, the bias is even more, let alone if you're gender neutral or sensitive and or ethnic of another background. Thank God we're having these conversations now, but we shouldn't be having these conversations, right? So yeah. I could one on a whole podcast about that too. I'm, I'm one to talk. I'm a white blonde female, right? Like I'm at the top. When you talk about totem poles, I'm like, I'm a female, but I'm at the top of the female totem pole and then it continues to go down. So, you know, and I, I have friends that come from all cultural backgrounds. So I've listened to stories that just blow my mind. And we do, we deal with a lot. And, you know, there's also harassment within your shareholders. I've literally had shareholders that have invested in me and my family and friends around that have told me they are going to give me cancer. Nice, right? Yikes. Yeah. Okay. So the fun, oh, yeah, side of, uh, fun side of entrepreneurship here. Uh, <laughs> let's go like way back. What's the first... Like, what was the first thing that you did as an entrepreneur? Like, what was your, what do you say your like first company was? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Socks. And I loved it. And not to scare anybody away from entrepreneurship, okay. but I do love it. There's, there's the pros and the cons, Molly. So you can edit as much as all that BS that you want out. Oh um, no, I love it. I think, well, and this is the, this is the reality though, because I feel like the super, you know, and we're going to, I wanted to ask about this because it looks so glam and, you know, being an entrepreneur is almost, is like the new, like cool thing to be right. But like, it's holy scary. crap, it's, it seems terrifying. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. There's points you're like, why am I doing this? But yeah, you know, my first, okay. My first company, like any of the companies I've been founded, like I kind of made this mandate. Now, not every entrepreneur does this. Just like nobody, I think everybody in life, we have to find what our purpose is. Thank God there's people that want to get up and they want to work for somebody else. And they want to do work in this industry. Like, thank God we have nurses and doctors and teachers, right? Like there has to be people that get up and are excited about roles and I, I think I discovered at a young age, young enough, that entrepreneurship was something I was very passionate for, but it wasn't until my late twenties, which is still pretty young, that entrepreneurship was something I was going to go into. And 
I look back now and it's interesting, like I studied at the University of Victoria. I did political science. I did follow that path, hence why I'm in Ottawa. Um, I was very, very fortunate after university in 2004 to have worked with a provincial minister um, in BC who then as a female, she she was very much a great leader to learn from. She advocated for me to go federal and help me land a job um, on this side of the country. And I ended up working under um, the PMO slash uh, one of the ministers that oversaw human, human Resources and Social Development Canada, like long acronym HRSDC at the time. But that gave me that experience to kind of see behind the angle of like how Canada operates and and what we're doing. And when you think about job creation, which was what my role was as a junior in a ministerial office at a federal level, level, one of the mandates that got brought in as a portfolio, and this gets to my first company, was overseeing job creation in Canada for post-secondary students and the debt that these younger people had coming out. So it was kind of like, do we have enough jobs that pay enough salary for the debt of the students coming out, right? So this kind of ratio makes sense, right? Questions we're um, still asking in the US today, yeah. <laughs> bingo, right? And even like, you know, you can't make a dent with the amount that they're offering. It's But at the end of the day, it's it's been always a topic at hand in these Western Western worlds where we've got high high value on education. Um, universities and colleges are, are businesses, right? They're very successful businesses. They make a lot of money, especially on international foreign students. And a lot on us and families that come from middle or lower income. And I think for me, it was a way to learn and, and see that fundamentally I thought, okay, well, how could you change this? Right. As that was I, my task was the research in and around like that job creation. Cause I had student debt when I worked for minister Salberg. And I thought it was really interesting to see a, how many of me were out in Canada um, and how long it was going to take them to pay off their debt if they ever got out of debt, which is the challenge we have is we just see younger couples get married. Then obviously, if they stay married, may, they might get out of debt. But then oftentimes what does happen to a majority of 70% of marriages these days is they don't last. So then more debts incurred, right? So the system's flawed. And I took a step back to kind of look at like, where do we have to start? And early stages where it is. And I, you know, realized at that time, financial literacy was really lacking. Like I kind of thought, when did I learn about banking and checkings and savings and investment portfolios? And I'm like, never, you know, like if it wasn't for kind of learning from my mom, a little bit about budgeting and tools, but you know, yeah, I always had extreme credit card payments back in the day. Like, you know, I always tried to do the best that I could, but it was always kind of like that catch up portfolio style. And yeah, long of the short, first company launched. I built it as a simple sock company. We came up with this mentality taking sport. Um, I saw a way as well, if I could start giving back through sports, because that's where obviously fundamentally, if we could get kids more active, it's a great way to give back. They're always doing fundraisers. They're usually, usually using, which is kind of ironic in sport when you think of wellness, they're usually using crap candy food to do the fundraising. So I thought, hmm, when I was doing work for after the government a little bit with the Hudson Bay Company and the Canadian Olympic Committee with these the fun loving mitts and and some of the programs and they launched this run, we thought of a sock. So I kind of got to see the behind the scenes of how with a major brand for a non for profit funding can be raised by using a simple product like a sock. Now I ended up launching Sock Jock in 2008 in the last recession and 
you know, for almost a decade, built it to 13,000 schools. And it was, and it's still out there. Like Soxon School is still used in, especially the Ottawa Catholic School Board. Um, it's a free um, education program. So being somebody that came from a family of teachers, I really saw the value, Molly, in wanting to support a an industry that doesn't have a lot of budget. Like a lot of teachers have this to educate and do fun projects. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to a create something that teachers could pull from that was approved. So then putting my government hat on, I was able to go and get the ministries of education provincially to accept a core curriculum that was developed, focused on the business 10, 11, and 12 class across the provinces in Canada. So the socks and the school program became a full-fledged curriculum product that teachers that were teaching business 10, 11, or 12 could actually use. And this is where you had the business classes coming up with their pitch fest, their sock designs, their sock sales, and getting all the student body involved. And we, and at first it was kind of aimed towards this, helping the sports teams in the school. But I learned from the kids, which was super cool, that it wasn't just the sports that were lacking. Like you had students that were big into the theater or the performance. And it's like, look, we can't put on the drama performance at the end of the year because we don't have the budget to buy the costumes. Oh, okay. Oh, I like, I'm a part of the spelling bee or the vocabulary, you know, team or the, the debate team. And we can't get to the debate competition in Toronto and we're from Ottawa. So all of a sudden I started to realize we were missing out on supporting a lot more kids and a lot more families. And so that kind of gave me that lesson and being more involved. And I think the interesting part, which is what got me to the company I'm doing today was like any business as you get in and it morphs and it grows, we started to realize we were more, we were a social enterprise and obviously I think we ran it and we definitely did. As I look back now and I chuckle, um, we definitely ran it more as a non-for-profit because definitely there was not, I, you know, my heart would go out. We, we gave a majority of the sock sales back and we just kept a very, very break even point. Didn't have a lot of employees, a lot of volunteers, like teachers and, and parents. Right. Um, and, but what I learned from that was the processing fees and the cost to acquire and, to, to deliver the product itself, I was losing majority of the costs on the payment schematics behind the scene. And that's where I thought, huh, well, if I'm having that issue. I wonder how many other small businesses are having that issue and how much money could we actually, if we could collect all of this. So this is where I started to kind of geek out and, and be fascinated with the day-to-day -day banking model of where things could become a better solution. And, and this goes back to kind of like the debt consolidation that younger people have. So I thought collectively, maybe there's a way to retain. And it's interesting now, like I, you know, look back and go, wow, what a, what an interesting journey. And I still go back like Sockjock definitely gave me so many of the tools I still have, but CSR wise, everything I ever will do and continue to build always has to do with giving back to next gen and has a big um, impact um, value statement in it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of, that's the scoop on socks and absolutely love socks. I'm a sockaholic. Um, that's our sock, sock, sockology. We, we, you know, the kids always had a sockology. So yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> I love it because I think like most people you'd hear sock jock and your immediate thing would be like, oh, you started this company that like makes socks, like period, or like custom socks, whatever, like one, like that's, that's the thing. But when you actually just explained it there, you sort of explained like the socks are just this one tiny part of this whole, you had to figure out like, who is this market? What do they need? How, you know, what, what is it that they're trying to achieve? And I think that's such a like important thing as far as like entrepreneurship goes. It's not just about the product. There's also this whole, 
delivery schematic from everything from like the schools and the school board and like, oh, it's it's not just athletics. It's also this, this and this to, like you say, the payment processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all like huge. You mentioned earlier um, a me- that you had a mentor. So at what point did you like bring a mentor into all of this stuff? And like any tips for people on finding one? Because I know oh, yeah. this is such a thing, right? Everyone's like, oh yeah, get a mentor. And you're like, it's like finding a coach, right? There are obviously paid mentors or paid business coaches. And then there's mentorship, which is, so there's a difference. You pay a coach, you pay a coach. A mentor is somebody who's willing to voluntarily offer you some of their time and expertise and be there to help you. So define the difference, right? So my first, my first mentor, and it's interesting, like I look back now and I don't even think she realizes it. I have now said thank you to her in numerous fashions. And it's very exciting because she is the woman behind the largest women's fund in the world that BDC launched last week, Michelle Scarborough. Um, She literally was I remember I remember this day it would be super funny to interview her and ask her how she remembers the day but Molly to give you the perspective going back to 2008 where a there was not a lot of females um especially in Ottawa walking into at the time a non-existent incubator it was called Oakry the Ontario Center of Excellence and I was referred to Oakry um because the individuals there might be able to point me in the right direction because I had questions around can I get loans? Um, how do I go about it? How do I build a business plan? Like, um, you know, I had the idea, I had everything. I, I did all the sourcing. I just needed to package it. <laughs> no idea what the hell it was doing. So off I went, I literally went to this government looking building. I remember where Oakry distinctly was off of Carlene. And I walked in and the woman at the desk was like, oh, are you a tech founder? And I said, well, I guess my company kind of has tech. Like we itch. <laughs> I'm like, like I was, I'm like, I'm like, I'm retail really. Right. Like, so I didn't know how to come across. So I said, well, we have a tech aspect to it because the kids build the landing page and sell the socks. Right. Like they, we had this champion software. So she goes, oh, well, she goes, let me, I'm, you know what? I think there might be a nice, a woman here. Like I kind of felt like she was just shoving me into like, at least talk to somebody. Right. Sure enough. Ended up with this Michelle Scarborough amazing woman. And, you know, at the same time, I'm pretty sure, again, if, if I was to ask her what she remembers, probably remembers my energy, my vivaciousness, like all this, like, you know, being out there loving sport and she herself is big into living an active lifestyle. So the two of us really got along on that sense, but she did, she helped guide me and she helped kind of make me feel like, you know what, this isn't a bad idea. And for sure, like we'll find a way because Oakry at the time was just going into kind of rebranding themselves as Invest Ottawa as we know it today. So Oakry's now passed and it's Invest Ottawa, which is like uh, an incubator for for startups. But I was kind of one of those first, I guess you could say, companies inside the Invest Ottawa circle. And it's funny because they really didn't know what to do with me because they had never seen in Ottawa the Nortel Blackberry you know, world, um, which is what it's known for, Canada North, like the biggest Silicon Valley of Canada, kind of that's what Ottawa got known for in the early 2000s. They just looked at me and kind of said, socks, okay, sock girl. Like I do, like people still call me the sock girl, which is really cute. Like it's kind of, at least in Ottawa, um, where I got prominently known for going around and promoting like buy socks for stocking stuffers and and, and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, Michelle would the first mentor and definitely that, that looped me into the network and building my network. I would say for 
almost like the last five, six years, I relied on advisors more than anything um, in and around my company as I built it out with people that have the right expertise. You could classify them as somewhat mentors, but the difference is advisors, they have a role, they know what they're delivering to you, you know what they're delivering, so you go. Um, but more recently, I've definitely um, been very fortunate to surround myself with people. And I have asked to particularly two individuals, and now it's going to be three for mentorship in each their, their own way. So um, Dame Driscoll, I had mentioned her name earlier on, and she kindly opened up um, the conversation with a, a person of her, her repertoire, um, Jeff Hoffman, who's been there, done it, made companies, exited companies, um, to just learn from people that have been there, done their exited and, and have a big scale. They're doing a lot of humanitarian work. So it's kind of like, I want to be in their shoes in the next 10 years. So that I'm excited about because I'm getting coached by people I I'm inspired by who are pushing me to be a better leader. Um, and hopefully I can take from what lessons they have to offer me and pass that on as a mentor myself. So that's, what's really exciting as I'm at that stage of growth. So mm -hmm. there you go. That's a little bit of mentorship. It always, if you see somebody that you want to learn from, all you have to do is ask. And that's mm -hmm. the best part about mentorship. And it's an honor to be asked to be mentored. Like if somebody asks you, would you mentor me or give me some of your time? And, and this is what I think entrepreneurs or people need to, even people that aren't entrepreneurs, mentorship could be in the workplace. Like I want to become, I want to move up my pay rate. Or I, want, I want to learn how to do that role. How do I get there? It's fascinating. Like people just usually don't think about putting the time and the effort in, but I think, yeah, don't be scared if you're looking for a good mentor, that support, it comes in all shapes and sizes. And um, yeah, people, if you have a specific ask, then oftentimes people are like, yeah, for sure. I'll carve off some time. How, how do you find time to be mentored? I, I do want to get into time management in a second here, yeah. like specifically with regards to mentorship, because I know like maybe it's because I'm personally an introvert. Like I love the idea of mentorship, but then when it's like the actual like sitting down, I mean, clearly I make time for this. So I, I love doing this stuff, but like there is part of me that's like, Ooh, more meetings. Like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so time for, well, I put, it's just like training, right? If, if you're going to go out and go for a ride, like I, I scheduled just because obviously the mentors that I've asked, are themselves very, very busy. So they have windows of time that they carve off as voluntary hours that they're willing to do. Cause that's the other thing, like, right. Like just like anybody, we only have so much time in the day and in the week and in the month and in the year. So I always kind of advocate as somebody who likes to give back and also receive on the same spectrum. So I can continue to give, it's kind of like that, the kindness act, right. Um, you stayed off that same amount of time. So I always make sure just like answering emails or calls, I always say, here's my availability. I take Zooms and our virtual meetings from Tuesday to Wednesday. On Mondays and Fridays, I, I do emails, I do catch up. If it's a really important call, then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take it and make it. And usually on those simpler days, like the Mondays and the Fridays is where I'll squeeze in and put like a two hour block for mentoring and advisory. Um, so it's kind of, again, it's scheduling it, right? And obviously I think most people don't realize this, but we do have more than eight hours in the day, you know, for a lot of entrepreneurs, um, we're not, we're not the nine to five. And that is one of the things that, you know, I think I, I've never been that type of person, even when I did work for the government. Um, but yeah, like for me, I, I can, I can take a call at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at night. I'm not the type of person that's needing, I don't need to sit and watch Netflix or Apple TV. Obviously I do enjoy a movie now and again, 
but I would much rather be listening to somebody and learning and, and being able to offer advice. If somebody's asked me that, that's a lot more fun for me. So I do want to ask you about your, your latest FinTech kind of project here, but also like we just kind of alluded to it a few different times, entrepreneurship, not as glamorous as it, uh, as it seems. So like maybe, maybe walk us through what like a normal day is going to look like if you're, uh, if you're actually in this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is where I literally think I should put a GoPro on for about a week and then people can just kind of see the Monday to Friday. I would um, love that. Like, it's not just like Le Boutons and like an Armani suit and, uh, you know, a giant boardroom. No, it, it's definitely not what Hollywood depicts it. Obviously, there's days where you can, you know, like, yeah, you've got to, you got to dress the part depending on who you're pitching. I feel very fortunate because I'm in, as you'll learn with the FinTech play, one of our products is focused on sport and wellness. So, Hey, like today I'm getting interviewed. I'm wearing one of the sport related um, brands that we've got in our marketplace. So I've had definitely calls with like corporate VCs, major firms where I'm in my bike suit literally right after a hard ride. And I've got the helmet head and the helmet hair. And I'm going, Yo, I just got got in from like a three hour bike ride with a bunch of other funds and investors. So I'm really sorry I look like this. And they're like, whoa, where did you go? And so I feel like, you know, that's the kind of cool part if you can authentically be yourself. But um, yeah, the day in the life of this is this is the typical. And I, you know, I think every entrepreneur would probably agree with me on this. There is never one typical day ever. Um I, I think even, even once you, let's say you've got all the capital in your company's fully functioning, still, you might have a little bit more of a routine, but never as a founder, you are always responsible. Like, and it's, it's, there's these moments where, and it's interesting because I think you have to think about it from this perspective of you have so much responsibility, depending on how much, how many teammates you have or how many employees um, you're always looking at growth and scale um, often it's really hard to take a step back and look at the, the small successes. So we try that as founders because you do, you have to, you have to celebrate those with, with your team, but oftentimes you're already thinking as a founder, okay, well, what's next? Like we got it. Like we got to be on this, right? Like it's kind of always the engines turning. I think that's one of the things that's so amazing about entrepreneurship and especially I wouldn't say I have ADD, like people that fall on the spectrum, lots of people that have ADHD are really good entrepreneurs because they're often like shiny balls doing a lot of things. They, they lack the focus if they're not on their meds, <laughs> but they're very innovative and they can get there. And I think that's where most entrepreneurs I find have a very specific type of personality where they thrive off of challenge, right? Like athletics, there's always got to be why isn't that working? Why can we not hit that margin? Why can't we, why are we not able to lower the cost of that good to get that ability to get to that sales point? And, and they'll do anything possible to try to get there, whether it's begging, pleading the source or the pr product offering, right? Like for me, it's all about talking to our payment processors and bouncing them off each other. It's like, well, this guy's going to be offering this. So unless you can match that, then I'm just going to go back to them. So like, and eventually you, you, you get to the point where they're, they're, they're will, willing to bend. So I think that's the kind of cool part of entrepreneurship is there's never a normal day for me. Um, I value obviously my mornings, I get up, I've got that nice routine of kind of, I try my best to get up and spend the first hour with 
reading something that's super cool online, catching up on kind of like articles, things that might've happened in the news yesterday, just skimming it, like never kind of going deep, deep. But obviously I want to be on top of the things that are happening in the world of business. And then kind of after that, that's when I start to get into the work, the work um, and, and look at kind of the current day. And it really could be like yesterday, a full day of virtual meetings back to back to back where my brain was Pride. Like even last night, I felt like my eyes were crossed and I still had emails to send out with term sheets because I promised those that were on all the calls that by end of day, they would receive this. And it just so happened that I literally had, you know, probably over 25 individuals in the course of a day that I had spoken to. That's a lot. And for me, I value if these are people that are going to invest that it's not a BCC email to them all. It's literally an individual note to them all to say, thank you for your time. This is what I like about what you have to offer. So it takes a lot of energy when you put in that. And that's me again, you know, but I think I, at the end of the day, different days. And that's the other cool part about being an entrepreneur. Like today, because I worked so hard yesterday after this podcast, I'm going to pack, pack myself up. I'm going to meet some friends in the park before the sun sets. And I'm going to go for an end of day um, bike ride, which again, most, most people don't get to kind of do that because they might have to work till five thirty, six o'clock if they have that kind of standard day job. Right. So there is some freedom and flexibility, but we always make up for it. I still work 80 hour plus weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and I was going to ask you how you go down from the hundred hour plus weeks. So I guess, I guess you're, you're making strides here, <laughs> yeah. but on that note, actually, so on a day like that, I'm so curious, how are you keeping track of all of the stuff that you need to do after each meeting? Right. Because I think so many people try to keep it in their head or they have like you know, all these different places where they're keeping like, oh, I need to respond to this and do this and do this. Uh, and it kind of gets messy, but it sounds like you're very dialed on like, nope, everyone's getting the term sheet that they need. This is going to get closed off. This is going to be like ticked off by yeah. tonight. How are you keeping cool. track of all of these different projects? <laughs> what software are you using? Do you use notebooks? Give me the nitty gritty. Give me the high note. Well, for sure it helps. There's, there's, there's a couple of things. So obviously we all have, thank God, technology. We all have these wonderful things called phones and notes. And we also have, obviously, when you're virtually connected, you're doing notes right on your laptop. I always go back. So I always start. So Sundays are kind of my down days. Um, I always take time for myself and my my loved ones. And then I also take a little bit of time to kind of look at what does the week ahead look like? Is there anything I need to move? Anything I should really confirm just to make sure that that's really slotted. So I know when I start Monday, I've got Monday to Friday, at least with the blocks of windows I know that are dedicated to calls, virtuals, and what I need to prepare for them. So I always like to make sure I know who I'm talking to, a little bit about their background. If we're not already on LinkedIn, I add them, do a little bit of research. Um, and I think from that, it, it kind of creates that rapport. So for me, it's, it is, it is a function of note taking. And luckily, every single virtual, whether it's Teams, Zooms, uh, obviously WhatsApp doesn't do it, but you can record. Right. So for really big meetings, we'll do our recordings and then take notes afterwards. I find with all of the, especially the fundraising that we're doing right now, we record the calls and I also have my CFO and my CTO on and we've assigned my CFO to be a good note taker because oftentimes not many people in a pitch are asking in-depth conversations around financials and Jim's a really good note taker. So he becomes kind of like the, the pen to paper guru. And then we do uh, a, an aftermath of each call. What were the questions that came up? What are things that we didn't address? And so I think that's really kind of key for us. There are obviously Slack is a really great um, platform, Canadian founded, by the way, UVic, UVic grad. Um, obviously Trello is another one. Um, I'm trying to think of like, there's a, 
fellow app would be another good one. Actually, Ottawa founder Aiden. Um, so we've I've definitely leaned on some of those, but because we've got for ourselves, like we've got a team of five, we're really mean and lean. Um, and I think I do have a high functioning brain when it comes to time management, just because of being able to do that for a federal minister. I learned compartment how to compartmentalize and follow up. I'm definitely a note taker. And I think that helps is key bullet points. And even uh, Molly, this is one of the best things. People like short and sweet. I do like writing lengthy messages to people that I love. But I think one thing in business that I am learning and I'm becoming better at is even for people when you're on a call, like we're talking about this right now is afterwards is like bullet points. Like maybe there's things we don't cover. We don't have to go into a lot. It's just like, Hey Molly, here's boom, boom, boom. Three things that we talked about. I'd like to explore these further. So it's just, it's, it's a nice reminder, right? Like I get into those things using WhatsApp and stuff with people to say, Hey, I know we talked, there was a lot of names that were thrown out. Here's the names that I can recall. Look forward to the intros, right? Because then you don't miss out. So if you're doing it right away, it doesn't have to be this lengthy thing. It's just like bullet, bullet, bullet. So love that. Things. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So you're in the process of raising funds right now. Uh, you have this, this new FinTech project tap and go Athletica rewards is sort of the main flagship product. Um, Got it. first of all, explain what these things are. And also just like a bit of like, how did you make that shift into FinTech? Because like, it's a very complicated arena so like challenges i think i think you're getting that now um i you know what i'm gonna go back to the socks right we talked about sock jock the financial literacy products the problem that i was seeing was the loss that we were getting from the payment side that's where the fintech love came in because i all of a sudden started to read up on payments payment gateways payment processing and all of a sudden like literally like i still have the magazine upstairs in my hope chest somewhere um it was forbes and it was an article talking about the dawn of the neo bank and it was a story on the ceo of money lion and you know i just absolutely loved it i thought here's a disruptor here's somebody who wants to push that, that envelope that wants to break that ceiling and they're doing it effectively to truly for the first time, let customers understand the, these, you know, hidden fees, let's put it that way. Right. And we are now fully transparent. I'm not about to change that because the best part is, is they've done the job, these fintechs in the last five to seven years, for sure, since 2015 of getting out there and showing that this system, these banks are making trillions of dollars and, you know, where's our profits for that. Right. And I think that's becoming, it's interesting, you know, I know definitely the financial institutions right now are kind of poking the bear on that because we've seen a lot of, especially in Canada, Coho, Mogo take a huge dive with the bear market and shareholders kind of saying, they want some of our money back, your valuations, but they also, unfortunately, they also gave themselves, as I would say in the business sense, a very, very large valuation for what they should have been like, you know, just because you say you're a unicorn, if it doesn't show on the profits, you shouldn't say you're a unicorn. And I think that's the challenge a lot of these fintechs have had. But for me, I, you know, when I started to look at the problem back in 2015, out of the former company, it was really more the business side that the B2B play and starting to really understand the cost to acquire a customer, the cost that customers like you and I every single day when we take out our debit card or our credit card to transaction with these businesses, you know, you know, I always kind of jokingly say like with tap and go technologies, what it is, is it's a fintech that is a neobank that plays on creation of specific niche 
programs that are for niche communities where people are passionate and they're spending money. Because when you think about it, Molly, I guarantee you and every single listener that's out here, none of you woke up this morning, feet hit the ground and you're like, oh my God, I'm so excited that I bank with the Royal Bank or BMO or Chase Bank. And I'm going to go and buy a coffee with my girlfriend after work using my BMO card, right? Like that's not what you're thinking, but you are thinking, I can't wait to go for coffee with my girlfriend or for a glass of wine with them after work, right? But you're using your money all the time to do that. And a business is also getting charged, which now that business is soon going to be able to charge you if you're using your credit card because of all these fees. So I kind of wanted to paint this picture. I'm like, we don't in a society, we do not deserve to be put into shoeboxes. Molly, your lifestyle and what you do and how you and your partner spend your money and how my partner and my I spend our money could be completely different. Obviously, we're both into sports. I, was say, I have a feeling it's all just bikes, bikes, more. I'm bikes, pretty sure. But... Yeah, I was just we might be a bad analogy, but let's just say you're into the arts and you love the entertainment space, and your your thing is going to the symphony, and my thing's going on gravel bikes, right? Like, are doing records. But it's just to say, everybody, like, we know people have a pattern to what they're what they're doing, where they shop, what restaurants they like to go to, the livelihood, and all the time you've got a bank you have to have a bank no how do you not have a bank like that's why you know i people you have to have a bank to have a job so i started to look at this as like on the other side of how do we connect the payment processing how do we connect the communities of brands merchants organizations events that are alike to a specific audience and that's where being somebody who's in sport and i know that this is an active community that spends a lot of money specifically on the area they're passionate for could I extend in this case, like marathon or marathon, Michelle and Michael, as we kind of call them or triathlon Tracy's extension of their dollar, but also save the small business, the cost to acquire them because they've already acquired them. And at the same point in time involve, instead of that acquisition cost that they would be spending on Google ads and Facebook ads, we built this engine, which is what tap and go is it's a marketplace engine that allows these merchants and organizations to come on to get the Michaels and the Michelles to start to transaction. And the give back is, is when they transaction, that's how we can actually reward Michael and Michelle. And we can retain a little bit of revenue as a company and put it back into the ecosystem. So instead of kind of third partying it out to a CJ affiliate or a Rakuten to get these discounts and deals and say, Hey, Molly, we got all these deals for you and discounts and they change every single day and every single week. No, it's consistent. You're going to get 5% or 10% cash back when you buy a pair of Mizuno running shoes. You're going to get 5% cash back when you buy a Cervelo or a Trek bike. You're going to get 10% cash back when you buy a pair of Oakley sunglasses. And it's not, that's not going to change. This is, these are our exclusive partnerships. These are deals directly to the merchants because they are a part of our community, our sport family. So that's really what Tap and Go is doing is building the ecosystem where people are passionate, they're spending, and the same same likelihood goes with the brands. So it's really, you know, it's timely because after Apple kind of kiboshed the retargeting and the ad stuff, right? Like it's really driven the cost to acquire a customer for a lot of small businesses through the roof. And they changed like these Facebook and Google ads, they're changing their algorithm every month. It's a pain in the butt for small businesses. Our platform's not going to do that. It's going to be free for merchants to come on board. It's going to be free to build campaigns because the likelihood of Molly, you and myself who do love cycling and love sports. I love bike porn. You could show me bike porn all day long. I might not buy the bike, but oh my God, you show it to me. And you know what the likelihood of me posting it on my social and being like, look at this sick bike. Oh my God. I want to see that. 
So that's what Athletica is building. It's building an engine that truly belongs to the people in that market. And you can you can skin that user experience and plop in the plop in other other niches, right? So as the pandemic took place, because we were supposed to launch in 2020, now we're getting ready to launch in Q1, raising this this round of capital, which is our pre-series A. We're excited because we spent time in the pandemic looking at what would be other niche markets we would look at that we could differentiate and really support female founders. There is, so Alexandrite's our second program. Alexandrite's a very rare gemstone. Um, I think it represents women really, really well. It's very expensive. Ruby by day, emerald by night, you know, 24 seven um, really stands for exactly what all females are and all shades of color. And I think that's exactly what the beauty is about being a female founder. And I'm excited for Alexandra because I think it's going to address a lot of the things we've had this conversation on today's podcast about. And what's interesting is there's not one other than the Women's Bank in the States that's in Chicago, but they're not digitally offering services. We will be the first, not only female founded neobank out of Canada and in North America, which is incredible on its own, but we will also be the first digital wallet to support female founders. So I am pushing very hard to get that off the ground and, and obviously Athletica, cause it's a passion project too. It's kind of, you know, Athletica has become the fun. I can't wait to do that just because it's, it's awesome. And I know it's going to support a lot of companies, but we're going to be able to grow that engine. And Alexandra, it's going to work the same way. Female founders spend money on travel restaurants, you know, um, obviously employee expenses, um, health savings account, wellness savings accounts. Um, we can offer a lot of neat solutions through the providing obviously lines of credit, um, as well as introductions to funds that are actually funding females. Um, so we can save their time. And of course, it's a great way for funds to show that accountability. So we built some really neat runway into what we're building for the technology and, and we're excited to get out there. Very, very cool. And I think that's something here at the Athletic Rewards. So it's it's going to be like a prepaid card. Is that like sort of the the plan? So you can theoretically be like loading money into it. Yeah. So, so, so you- I feel like this is helpful for those of those of us who maybe struggle with our athletic budget a little bit and uh, maybe need to be reined in. But like the cash in the envelopes doesn't really make sense in 2022. There's no cash back with that. There's no deals. Uh, so I, I like yeah. this a lot from like a yeah. budgeting perspective. Really, really leaned on. And I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. Like when I looked at this, a, I wanted to make it something that anybody, um, you know, technically from the age of 16 onwards can apply for and, and get within three to five minutes. It's going to be a visa debit card. Um, so yes. And the nice part is, is knowing that obviously the sport and wellness space, it is a banked area. There's not a lot of people I would classify as underbanked. Although as we get into other niche products and communities, we'll be focusing on those in need. I'm definitely kind of targeting uh, some of the stuff that I want to do in the latter part with the 17 STGs that the UN, um, UN focuses on, but sport people have money for. And I think for us, it's more about how can we put that back in the ecosystem, support some of the amateur athletes, the the families that might be in need. So there'll be the donate feature. We'll be collaborating on these amateur sport um, organizations that are in need of some capital where people can donate the rewards dollars. But I think what's interesting is you can link and load. So for our products and programs, as we move forward, recognizing that some people do have banks, obviously a lot, um, if you're over the age of 16, the likelihood is you're already signed up for a major bank in Canada, the States. So you can link that bank account. You can load the wallet that we've got as an offering and, or you can also link, um, credit cards. But again, from the credit card processing fees that are there, this is a great way to escape that mechanism, um, by using the debit visa offering, 
um, to support A, the merchant as well. So I think as we start to get out there and learn um, a little bit more about that, and that's, you know, the hidden hidden ticket is you're going to start to see those fees if you're using a credit card when you go, especially to a restaurant. So you're going to start to see not only that HSD in Canada or GST, where depending on where you live, you're going to actually see that added service fee. And it's going to be like, what the hell is that? So we want to kind of support the ecosystem. Again, it's it really starts to show how some of these smaller merchants, well, they're they're not wanting to pay these fees for you using it. And credit card companies do kind of need a little bit of a challenge because they make a lot of money. They're doing just okay. <laughs> They're doing fine. They yeah. need to work with some of us to, you know, make a good audience and, and give back a little bit. I think it's mm-hmm. a good time. Yeah. So how did you, I mean, how did you kind of figure out the steps to starting this? Because again, this is a very complex thing, but it's also not like, it's not like, oh, here's the physical product. Like, boom, we'll put it up in my web shop and like, away we go. Yeah. Uh, as you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, are doing or like, you know, boom, easy, like ebook, digital course, like I'm done. I'm an entrepreneur. This is, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with FinTech because it is people's money. It is touching their banks. It is touching their credit cards. Like that's a lot of moving parts. How did you learn about this stuff? How did you educate yourself (laughs) on it? That's a whole other podcast, but you know what? Here, here's the high level. Obviously when you start something, you never think it's going to go and go to the level that it is. So when I go back to 20, especially 2017, um, I had started the idea after I'd biked across Canada um, for kids in 2013, 14 with the King Molly Federation. In that time, when I did that ride, Sock Jocks, the schools was learning a lot about how much cost and loss of profits we were having from the processing and the payment side. Um, I thought it was really interesting, those challenges. And obviously, as an entrepreneur, you're always about, well, there's a problem here, and I want to find a solution. And how do we go about that? So obviously surrounding yourself with other individuals, that's where I started to lean on, um, you know, people I would look for from an advisory stance to kind of be like, Hey, like, what do you think about this? And obviously started researching, learning about Mogo because Mogo has been around in Canada for a very long time. Coho was just coming out Neo, which is obviously, as we just learned, one of the top companies in North America from a FinTech play. Um, and, and I just think, yeah, like for me, it was really, again, doing the research, surrounding myself, I wouldn't, you know, now Molly, like I look back, I think it was just because AI was really interested in the space. I I took the time to learn it. Um, definitely it's going into the banking as a software, which is what we classified as the BAS offering. So we're a software, we've created a software platform, a solution, a marketplace technology. It isn't your typical entrepreneur. Like we can launch landing pages and do things like, you know, that's, like my partner and I in the pandemic, we launched a virtual bike ride event, which was a ton of fun and raised money and supported two athletes to get to the Olympics that just passed. And that, you know, that took us about a month to build out, you know, obviously find the right companies to do the the swag and boom, press a button and people registered and went like that. Those kind of entrepreneurs, like, you know, you kind of get out there and you do it, you make little profits here or there. But this this play definitely is not um, it's not an overnight story. That's for sure. When you look back, like we are technically classified as an early stage company because we haven't gone out to market and we haven't broke revenue, but we're far more than an early stage company. The amount of um, work and effort that goes into finding these fintechs. And I definitely I definitely have lonely days because there's not a lot doing this. But I know the ones that I have met 
I at least can feel comfort in knowing I'm on the right track and I've been putting the right amount of time in and where I'm sitting now to get ready to go to market. It's timely because it is about the right time and it's how long it took them to get to market. So I feel confident that uh, at least I'm not too crazy, but it's a, this is definitely, yeah, it's a feat. I would never, if I was to go back, would I have gone at it this way? I don't know. I think so. I, you know, obviously we follow a path for a reason. Um, I'm always up for a freaking great challenge. And, you know, if there's somebody that's going to do it, I kind of feel like, why not? Like this, this is, this is what I was born to do. I I'm not somebody that just likes to turn a light flip, a light switch on and, and make profit. Like for me, this is about a long-term give back. And to be able to do that, you have to put the time and you have to put the energy in to be successful. Um, and that, that for me is super cool. I love the space. It's, mm-hmm. it's very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. FinTech has been just something I've been super interested in lately. And it's, it's just a fascinating, weird, like growing space. Yeah. I love like the FinTech and the fit tech. It's really like change the T for an N and I'm like a happy camper. <laughs> I love it. It's super fun. It's trust me. It, there's endless amounts of pipeline. Like that's the neat part, no matter whether I look at Athletica as our first flagship or Alexandrite, our third one we're looking at is uh, the next gen. So kind of like your 18 to 40 year old first time home buyers, like how to support them, go to university without debt, wealth management solutions, things that we didn't have. Right. So, but totally different. You take that concept and then you look at athletic as like, these are three completely different niche communities that belong to tap and go, but hmm, is there not a female founder? That's also an athlete. Is there not somebody who's 18 to 40? That's also a female founder and an athlete. So the market, when you start to think about it, as we grow as a company, obviously the technology, and we do have, I call it behavioral intelligence. Obviously over time it becomes AI. Um, I always really stress like AI, there's so many misinterpretations of what it is, but I think the behavior behind the software we've built really starts to authentically allow us as a company to get to know you, Molly, as much as you want us to get to know you. We have built in the sovereignty to let our clients know from day one transparently that we have first party data. We're not selling it. We're working to build something that truly is going to become like technically for me and my my goal is to become a humanitarian bank globally. So we have a CSR for every single vertical. There's a give back. There's, you know, that accountability to our customers as we grow based on the niches that they belong to. But when you think about the engine in the marketplace, everybody's going to be able to draw from the brand. So if you let us know on a user experience, say you're, say you're a female founder, like you and I, and you sign in, you're like, Hey, I own a business and yeah, I have a couple of employees and I travel for this, but I also ride a bike. Awesome. Well, guess what? All of the brands and all of the merchants, all the organizations that relate to female founder, as well as Athletica belong to you, whether you sign up for the Athletica visa debit or the Alexandra visa debit, you're still going to get access to all of the products because you let us know what it is that you need. So that's the kind of the neat functions as we move forward as a digital bank that will come out. So I'm, I'm excited about that and seeing how we can, how we can create some change. I love that. Also, I do feel like I am squarely in the middle or triangularly in the middle of all three of those uh, original offerings. Yeah, so you're like, like 18 to 18 to 40 people. Like, there we go. Yeah. Hey, if you need like an avatar of a customer, it's, it's right here. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it we'll call it marathon marathon Molly now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Okay. So you've now mentioned, you know, a lot of this comes down to for the love of it. There's so many long days. There's so many long weeks. Do you think it's possible for someone to get 
to like this point without those 100 hour, 80 hour weeks? Because I think right now there's this weird pushback against against the like long hours and the hustle culture. And now we're we're supposed to like sit back and chill and like be super zen. Um, but I find that the only time you start reading about the super zen stories is like after the hundred hour weeks have crested and like earned wow. the person the the millions and now they're sort of like managing rather than building. So do you think it's possible to build while not doing the like we're burning the candle at both ends. Let's be honest. We're burning it at like every side. We just have like another candle under the first candle. Like, <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I think there's, I think there's a, everybody's different, right? On your personality tri- traits. Um, and whether you're somebody who just likes to work, like I've met people that are worth millions and millions of dollars and they still get up at four o'clock in the morning and they work their butts off all day until they literally pass out. Um, they don't have to, it's just who they are, right? Like for them, there's no such thing as retirement. They're hard workers. They love, they love business. Um, and I think that's the same thing. I've seen people make an astounding amount in exits that they didn't anticipate same thing. And they're young, they're like in their thirties or forties. And after a year of retirement, they come back and they're like, um, I am way too young to not, yeah, be doing nothing. Right. Like I have, people have to have a purpose. Right. I don't care. I don't care who you are. Everybody has to have a purpose. Otherwise, there's that there's there's that kind of like question mark of what 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 am I? Who am I? Why am I here? And that's kind of what the socks in the school was about. We fundamentally had like the first lesson in the curriculum was finding your why. And it wasn't just the business why, it was your why. Because if you knew you your why, you would be able to put more into the business. And I think from an hour to quality, quality versus quantity, Molly, I think that's the question you're kind of getting at. I do believe, yes, there is ways cer- certain people, depending on the market that they're trying or the business that they're trying to build, um, they could get and do not that I'm going to say, you know, t- Tim Ferriss is like four hour work week. We can talk about that later. I think Tim made a lot of money to be able to write the book four hour work week. Um, but it's metaphorically you're in your mind. Right. And I think that's, I think you can get it down. Um, but yeah, there's, there's times where you have to like now, you know, it's go time. I always say, Nick and I are like, it's go time, right? Like, and if you got to be on a call because that investor wants to talk to you at 10 o'clock at night, you're on a freaking call. Like, I don't care. Right. Like that's, you show up. Um, if you don't show up, they're going to go to somebody else. And that is the pressure. Right. And you do feel that, but I think some people are are built for allowing that, but you do have to allow yourself to take a step back and take a breath and go, okay, I've done the work. I need, I need to take a step back. Just like training for a record. I'm trying to take a step back. I cannot train at an elite level anymore. Like I'm now, well, I could go back to some stuff, but no, like, right. It's just, it's a choice of making those choices. And I think that's where, yeah. Simple question is, is I think, yes, you can get down to, quality hours in the work week as a founder that are a little bit more managed. But I do think there's still times that you have to be able to understand that there are going to be some very long weeks and you just have to put in the time. And that is, that is what it is. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And you know, kind of one of the things I want to wrap up here on, because I don't want to take up all of your time before you have to get out for a ride is, ride. uh, (laughs) is sort of this, this third shift, I'm going to call it for, for anyone, but especially I think for, for women in this space in particular, I think there is like this, you, you almost need to be this all, like in addition to all of the business stuff, you also need to put yourself out there online and, you know, you're active on a few social media channels as well. You have Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, 
do you think, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs need to be on them? Should they be on them? What's, what's your thought? I don't think you need, I think it's depending on your personality. Like I, you know, I do as much as I possibly can. And I just have, which is amazing, a PR team that is coming on board to help me build out a little bit more. What I would say is congruency between my social. I enjoy that because I think it's a way for people that, you know, want to, want to get an inspirational story or quote, or they live off of kind of like what, what's out there. I kind of think there's obviously influencers that don't give good creative content or inspiration. Um, We all know that, but I'm hopeful that out of the authentic audience that follows me, there might be a little bit of light or giggles that they might get out of some of the posts or at least kind of like, oh, well, I should do that. That's my hopes is it kind of just motivates people a little bit. Um, But I think it's not for everybody. Like you said at the start, you're an introvert, right? So um, obviously doing a podcast, that's a lot of good representation. But do you have to be active on other other platforms? I guess maybe if you're wanting to raise capital or do um, or have like funded ads for your podcast, those kind of things, letting people know on LinkedIn and those kind of metrics might support you as a business owner. But is that Molly as a business or is that Molly as a person? So kind of get the difference. Like, so I, I as of right now, and that's what my PR team is trying to define is fortunately or unfortunately, the way it looks in my world, I am both a brand and I'm also a founder and it's a choice that I've made and it is definitely a sacrifice. I'm an, I hats off to Sarah Grouse and her team at Live Feisty because friggin' I am not a TikTok queen, but I get, I love what she does. And that's a lot of effort. I'm never going to get to that point. I'm not a media channel superstar, but I think it's nice to let people know on LinkedIn and Twitter here or there, Instagram, Instagram is more my personal Twitter. I use for more professional posts and sharing other organizations that are doing great things like BDC and their recent announcement. Um, and, and, and at the same point in time, um, I use I, I use the, uh, the the LinkedIn Avenue for referencing and business and content and things that I might be on stage. So I kind of have Instagram as more the personal, fun, quirky side of Meet Angela, and then the professional side. That's just me. I don't think it has to be for everybody. Yeah, but I think what you kind of pointed out there is is you do have to have this like idea of who you like who you are presenting and what your plan is rather than yeah just kind of like bouncing around on any of them and just kind of posting random stuff or just like yeah like elect even if you even if like the decision is you're not on any of them that's a conscious decision that you're making that you know this could have could have positive could have negative consequences but that's like exactly pros and cons of anything and i think too like there are there are cyber bullies and trolls right and i think you know whether depending on how you're looking at it nobody depending on it doesn't matter whether you're business or personal there's always going to be people that are haters and there's always going to be people that are going to be supporters and i definitely make a, a point when anything negative is posted or whatever i restrict and or block the person right away because i don't deal with I don't deal with anybody that wants to insult anybody else within my community. Um, it's an, it's a no, no. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, having those guidelines. So th- again, obviously it gets harder as you get more, like I couldn't imagine being like a Kardashian that has multi, multi millions of followers, right? Like obviously Kim or Chloe are not going through all of their posts in a day, but they have a team that does because yeah, you have to be cognizant at this stage. I feel I've got enough management that I can look at the posts and the comments that come through a story that I do. And I think that's important is understanding when you post something, if you're trying to build a brand or a rapport around yourself or your company, you represent that, right? Like, you know, that's uh, my vulnerability at my record attempt when I didn't expect to cry. I tried not to, but then it just happened. 
was actually probably one of the most liked and kindest responses that I have seen in four years on social. Like I didn't read them until the day after my attempt, but it was being so real with an audience. And obviously you can't stop the conversation. And there was a moment where I wanted to stop the filming and and not post it. But I was like, I think people need to see this. This is this is how hard and real it is. And it makes me realize, I think that's what people do really want. They want to know who you are um, as a founder or as an athlete and what you're going through. It just, it hits home for people. So mm-hmm. yeah, just be yourself. That's it. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, we could have you on for literally hours and hours, but I will let you get to your bike ride. So before we go, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow Tap and Go and Athletica as it comes out in just a few months here. Fingers crossed. Yes, we got to get through the seed round. That's our major thing. So our goal is to be able to launch in Q1. Um, We've got some immediate needs that we're going after with Angels. Um, If that comes to fruition by the end of November, we'll be good to go in Q1. If not, we'll be going in Q3. So we're, we're in the future. We're in the very, we're in that final push. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Likewise, such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be in touch. Yes. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and huge thank you to Angela for being on talking about all of these, you know, semi thorny topics and really being honest about what it looks like to, to be in this entrepreneur space. I think what I really enjoyed about it and what I could not stop talking about after we got off the call was that she was really honest about what the entrepreneurship mindset looks like. And I thought it was just fascinating to hear her actually talk about the fact that being an entrepreneur means that you have to be okay with facing down challenges, with having, you know, hearing the word no, with having just problems popping up constantly. That has to be the thing that actually helps you thrive or that you you thrive in. And I know it's a little cliche uh, in job interviews, you know, like I thrive under challenge, but that is really the... Uh, the personality type that it takes to be an entrepreneur. Uh, And I think that's kind of what separates people who really go for it in this entrepreneurship space uh, versus, you know, people who are who are freelancing or finding ways to kind of start their own business, their own side hustle, but maybe keep it at this this smaller scale level, which isn't a bad thing at all. I'd say that's what I do. Uh, But certainly the the uh, effort that it takes and the mentality that it takes to go all in on something like tap and go for Angela is is just so so impressive and I thought that was just such an interesting thing um, and also as far as practical tips go I love the concept of you know when you get off the call or get out of the meeting writing down the couple main things whether you're writing them down for yourself or you're actually emailing the person with sort of here's like the three things we discussed here's what we need to do. Uh, just coming up with that quick list, I feel like that's so, so helpful because so many times I'll be in meetings, I'll be in calls, and I'll get off and I'll quickly shift on to the next thing and I'll completely forget about what it was that I was you know, actually on that call for or this follow-up that I need to do. So doing that right away, I think, is just such a, a smart game changer. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow Angela, just head over to AngelaGrand.com and you can find me over at at Molly J. Herford. You can find Feisty Media on all of the social media channels uh, and definitely tune back in next time for another episode. Thanks so much and we'll see you soon.
As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. 
So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes.